Chapter 7 of The Life and Works of Joseph Wright by William Bemrose. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Mention of Some Important Pictures The Custom House Authorities and the Captive Picture The Dead Soldier and Heath the Engraver Destruction of the Floating Batteries off Gibraltar The Orrery Earl Ferrers as a patron. Mortimer. Peter Pindar. Dr. Darwin. Anna Seward. Wedgwood. Bentley. The Alchemist Picture. Haley the Poet. Thomas A. Haley the Sculptor. We have seen that Wright's visits to Italy caused him to turn his attention to landscape. And it is after his return from thence that we find him entering upon the treatment of poetical subjects, Edwin, from Beatty's Minstrel, and Maria, from Stern's Sentimental Journey, were exhibited at the Royal Academy in 1778 and 1781, and were portraits of living persons who were eminently fitted to represent the ideal of the authors. Before Wright commenced to paint Edwin the Minstrel, he wrote to Dr. Beatty to ask his opinion upon the treatment of the subject. The doctor wrote a very excellent letter in reply, and concluded by saying, Edwin, from your pencil, will be all my pen vainly endeavoured to make him. A Derby gentleman, Thomas Hayden, surgeon, who was considered to be one of the handsomest men in the town at that date, sat for this picture. The lady who sat for Maria was a Mrs. Bassano of Derby. I am indebted to Mr. F. Seymour Hayden for kindly allowing me to embellish this volume with his admirable etching of Edwin the Minstrel. We may well attribute these and some other pictures of a sentimental character to the influence of Wright's visit to Italy. Wright was evidently indebted for the attitude of the figure in the picture of the captive to Michelangelo's Adam in the Capella Sistina. This picture was painted in Rome and sent to England. A very good tale is told about it, which is here inserted from the Universal Magazine of June 1795. Quote, when this celebrated painter, Wright of Derby, was at Rome, he painted that very fine figure, the captive, from Stern, and consigned the picture to a friend in London, who, having advice of this being landed, and deposited in the custom house, presented a petition to the board, stating that it was a portrait painted by an English artist and praying it might be delivered duty-free. In answer to this, he received an order to attend on a given day and was brought before their honours. The picture was produced, and the first question asked was, Of whom is it the portrait? The gentleman replied with truth, It was the portrait of a Roman, for it was copied from a Roman beggar, and the board seemed inclined to let it pass. But an old gentleman, who had long been a commissioner, made a shrewd objection and remarked that this was such a portrait as he had never before seen in his life, and taken in a manner that he did not believe either Roman, Greek, Turk, Jew, or infidel would ever consent to seat. If, he added, any gentleman at this honourable board chose to have his picture drawn, 
Would not he put on a clean shirt, and have his wig fresh powdered, and be clean shaved? Answer me that. To be sure he would. Now, is it here pretended that this fellow sat for his portrait, who had hardly a rag to cover his nakedness? Gentlemen, if he could have afforded to have paid for painting his picture, he could have afforded to buy himself a pair of breeches. He added by moving that the duty might be paid, and the duty was paid accordingly. Wright was more fortunate when he returned from Italy as to payment of custom house duties as the following extract from a letter from Bath, dated 4th December 1775, shows quote, Through the interest and application of my friend Mr. Baxter, I have got my pictures, etc., duty free a thing so unusual the clerks could scarce credit it i believe it an indulgence none have experienced but myself had i been charged with ye common duty i should have had near thirty pounds to pay an object this at any time at the present a very material one from the pictures of this character we must not omit to mention that of the dead soldier from langhorne's poems which has become so familiar through the excellent line engraving by Heath. It is related that Wright said before he painted the dead soldier that he would depict the greatest possible sorrow, yet there should be a smiling face in the picture. The following lines by William Selfby, F.R.S., bear testimony to the realization of his intention. I, to yon lonely tent by pity led, View where the widow mourns her soldier dead, turns from her babe, whose careless smiles impart strange woe that harrows up the mother's heart, hangs o'er the body, bleeding on the ground, clasps his cold hand and faints upon the wound. The picture of the dead soldier was bought from the easel by Heath for a hundred and five pounds, who afterwards sold it to J. L. Phillips. It was sold in Manchester when the effects of that patron of the fine arts came to the hammer by Winstanley and Taylor in October 1814, and then realized £315. It is thus described in the catalogue. Lot 33, Wright of Derby, the Dead Soldier. This acknowledged chef d'oeuvre of this admired master, uniting great knowledge of grouping, excellent drawing, and correct colouring, with a fine feeling of sentiment, decidedly proves the assertion of Mr. Fuzzelli in his biographical notice of Mr. Wright that he once eminently succeeded in the pathetic. The line engraving by Heath appears from the following correspondence to have been a great success. The following is a copy of the original circular issued by the engraver. London, July the 25th, 1795. Proposals for publishing by subscription a print to be engraved by James Heath, historical engraver to His Majesty, etc., from the celebrated picture of The Dead Soldier, painted by Wright of Derby. Conditions. That the plate shall be the size of the plate of the death of General Wolfe. The price of each print will be one guinea. Proofs, two guineas. Have to be paid at the time of subscribing, and the remainder on the delivery of the print. 
Subscriptions are received by the proprietor, James Heath, at 42 Newman Street, where a proof of the plate may be seen. Received, blank, 1790, blank, of the sum of, blank, being half of the subscription for, blank, impression of the above-mentioned print which I promise to deliver according to the proposals. The following correspondence relating to the print is also of some interest. Quote, October the 17th, 1796. To J. L. Phillips. I have sent a proof of the dead soldier, very near finished. Pray let me have your opinion and remarks upon it as soon as possible. I have sent one to write, and have asked him to paint a companion to it. If you will not, who would you recommend for that purpose? I have hopes of a great sale from the number of subscribers I already have, and the approbation the print has met with from everyone who has seen it. J. Heath 1796 to J. L. Phillips The prints you mentioned from Wright's I dare say I shall be able to pick up at the sales this winter. I have heard from Mr. Wright in which he says, The effect of the picture is so well preserved, and the parts which compose it so true, that I have nothing to say, but that I am well pleased with it. He says that he began to paint again about a week ago, and that he will, if his health returns, talk to me about a companion picture. J. Heath February 1797 To J. L. Phillips I showed him, Lord Lansdowne, a proof of the dead soldier, which he liked exceedingly, and subscribed for a couple. I asked his permission to dedicate it to him, which seemed to give him great pleasure. I expect him to call to see the picture, and when he has seen it, I will immediately send it on to you. J. Heath To Joseph Wright Sir, as I am going to publish the dead soldier, I wish to announce the shipwrecked sailor as a companion. I should therefore be much obliged to you to inform me whether your health will permit your painting it. An answer will much oblige. Your most obedient servant, James Heath. March the 14th, 1797, Newman Street, London. April 1797, to J. L. Phillips. I have sent in a large tin case by tonight's conveyance, four dozens of the very first impressions of the dead soldier, and one dozen proofs. This number is more than you have at different times ordered for yourself and friends, but as I have raised the price to two pounds, two shillings, from one pound six shillings, and as they are choice impressions, I should suppose they will not stick on hand. If they should, you can at any time return them. A few of them have the same date of publication as the proofs, and consequently in the earliest state. I have met with more success than I had hoped for in such times as these. It is universally talked of, and I have orders for between two and three hundred from the trade only. James Heath August the 20th, 1797, to J. L. Phillips a few days ago I sent an India proof of the dead soldier. I should have sent you one before, but as the India paper was not good, I did not take above three impressions, the best of which you have. I have sent by today's coach seven dead soldiers. Respecting the two pictures of rights of Hero and Leander, I mentioned it to Lord Lansdowne, 
who has promised to procure them for me if he can. Have you heard how right is lately? If he is not dead, I shall think there are hopes you may recover sufficiently to paint a companion for me. 1797 to J. L. Phillips I received, 1797, yours with the bill enclosed. I am very sorry to hear of Wright's death, as I do not know now who to get to paint a companion to the dead soldier. I wish you would say who you think would do it best. I mean to get the pictures of Hero, etc., as soon as Lord Lunstone comes to town, and with respect to Stern's old man and ass, I think it would be a good thing to engrave. Mr. Cordwold would be the man to put the background to it. J. Heath June the 14th, 1798 To J. L. Phillips I wish you would get the two pictures of Hero and Leander for me. I should like to engrave them very much. I have mentioned them to Lord Lansdowne several times, but he seems to hint that there is a family coolness which prevents him from asking for them. The dead soldier continues to sell very well, indeed so much so that I am very desirous of going on publishing for myself. J. Heath July the 28th, 1805, to J. L. Phillips Mr. Corbold desires me to inform you that he has finished Wright's picture. I should think it would be worth while to engrave it, and if, after you have seen it, you think so too, and would go halves in the speculation, I should like to do it. J. Heath, Russell Place May the 12th, 1807, to J. L. Phillips My next work will be a companion to the dead soldier. Mr. Smirk has nearly finished the picture. He had painted one four years ago, but it did not quite please him, and he has now succeeded more to his wishes. J. Heath February 1810 To J. L. Phillips I have often thought of mentioning to you the circumstance of Mr. Morland's having bought my landscape of rides for sixteen guineas, and his never offering to pay for it, although it is so long ago. I wish for your advice, as you know his circumstances better than I do. J. Heath End quote. It has been the custom to view Wright only as a painter of artificial light, and for picture-dealers and some others to attribute all unknown pictures of fire in any form to Wright of Derby. We ourselves have seen many so attributed, which would not add fame to any painter's name. The exhibition of Wright's works in the Derby Corporation Art Gallery in 1883 tended to dispel this unfounded illusion as to the limits of Wright's art. Whilst the representation of firelight in some form or other was undoubtedly a speciality with Wright, this class of subjects, after all, formed but a small proportion of the numerous works then collected together. On reference being made to the appendix, it will be noticed that there were many other important works painted by Wright which were never exhibited, and as he did not always sign his paintings, they may possibly now be attributed to other artists, or to the great unknown. A picture that created considerable attention at the time it was painted was the destruction of the Spanish floating batteries off Gibraltar on September the 13th, 1782. Footnote, in the possession of the late Lord Overstone at the time of his decease. End of footnote. Which was bought from the easel by Mr. J. Milnes for 
£420 being the highest price Wright obtained for a single picture. This was one of the works included in the London exhibition of Wright's pictures in the year 1785, and a notice of the press of that date thus alludes to it. Quote, we shall, however, at different periods lay before our readers a particular account of these noble productions as they stand in the catalogue. Except that grand scene of the destruction of the floating batteries of Gibraltar, which we cannot resist the present impulse of mentioning out of its turn, in this picture, Mr. Wright has represented a view of the extensive scenery, combined with the action on the 13th of September, 1782, in which his design is sublime, and his colouring natural and brilliant beyond description. We never remember to have seen shadows painted so little like substance as those in the foreground, which gain great strength and richness from the prodigious brightness of the grand explosion at a distance. But we feel ourselves inadequate to the task of pointing out the various merits of this phenomenon in the imitative art, which proves the painter is unique in the extraordinary line of the charming study he has so happily pursued. End quote. The following lines were written by Haley on Wright's picture of the siege of Gibraltar. Culp's address to Britannia. With patriotic pride and national delight. Ye Britons view me in the tints of right. My rock's the proof that British minds and hearts are honour's darlings, both in arms and arts. With double triumph, here let Britons say, Britons alone could rule this fiery fray. This miracle of art a Briton wrought, painting as boldly as his country fought. Extract from a letter from Buxton Wells, January the 3rd, 1785. Quote, Governor Elliot's successful defense of Gibraltar has, among the many essential advantages accruing from it, been productive of some of the noblest works in the fine arts, especially among the painters. On stopping at Derby a few days since, I was introduced by a friend to view the production of that great genius Wright, whose astonishing power of expressing artificial lights on canvas the world has long been acquainted with. His new picture on the siege of Gibraltar for composition, force, brilliancy and prodigious effects of fire exceeds, in my opinion, all his former labours. To attempt a description of it would be in vain. Whoever sees the picture must have such an idea of the action as no poetry can describe. Mr. Wright has not been in the exhibition, for reasons I cannot explain, for some time past, but that he will not withhold this sublime piece from general inspection, I most sincerely hope, as the attack on Gibraltar, with some other pieces on interesting subjects, would form an exhibition in every way worthy of the countenance of the public." The orrery picture was exhibited at the Society of Artists' Rooms in 1766, so must have been painted when Wright was thirty years old. It was purchased by, and probably painted for, the Earl Ferrers for the sum of two hundred guineas. Fifty pounds of this was paid on account, and the remainder secured by a bond, of which a copy is given on the next page. 
The figures in the picture are all portraits, and various persons have been mentioned as the probable originals who were thus honoured. A copy of the print, once belonging to the artist, has certain names written on the margin, with the date 1768, so that the following are identified. Joseph Wright, with his back towards the spectator, Mr. Burdett, taking notes, young Cantrell, Mr. A. Winterman, Mr. G. Snowden, Mrs. Sale, and Mr. Danby, as the philosopher. Mr. Burdett, also figures in the gladiator picture. The other boy sitter was a son of Earl Ferrers, as the following extract from the Stemata Shirleyana shows. Quote, Lawrence Rowland, second son of Robert the sixth Earl of Ferrers, baptized at St. Alkman's, Derby, November the third, seventeen fifty seven, died February the fifth, seventeen seventy three. His portrait, when very young, is preserved in Wright's celebrated picture of the orrery, well known from the engraving. The picture passed from the hands of the Ferrers family and was sold by Mr. Thomas Rott of London to the late Mr. Francis Wright of Osmaston Manor by Ashbourne for the sum of fifty guineas in 1853. In 1884, at the dispersion of Mr. John Osmaston's collection, to whom the picture then belonged, it was again in the market, and it is with pleasure that we are able to record that, being purchased by a few of Wright's admirers, singularly at the original price of two hundred guineas, it was, on September the 4th, presented to the Derby Corporation Art Gallery as a memorial to the painter, where it will remain as a fitting record of the admirable powers he possessed, and be admired by his fellow townsmen in years to come. The bond mentioned above was as follows. Know all men by these presents, that we, the right Honourable Washington, Earl of Ferrers, Peter Perry Burdett of Stanton Harold in the county of Leicester, gentlemen, are held and firmly bound to Joseph Wright of the town of Derby, painter, in the sum of one hundred and sixty pounds of good and lawful money of Great Britain, to be paid to the said Joseph Wright or his certain attorney executors, administrators, or assigns, for which payment to be well and faithfully made. We bind ourselves and each of us by himself, our and each of our heirs, executors, and administrators, firmly by these presents, sealed with our seal, dated this eleventh day of July, in the third year of the reign of our sovereign Lord George the Third, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France and Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, and so forth, and in the year of our Lord, 1763. The condition of this obligation is such that of the above bounden Earl Ferrers and Peter Perry Burdett, or either of them there, or either of their heirs, executors, or administrators, do and shall and do well and truly pay or cause to be paid unto the above named Joseph Wright, or his certain attorney, executors, administrators, or assigns, the full sums of eighty pounds of good and lawful money of Great Britain, with lawful interest for the same on the eleventh day of July, which will be in the year of our Lord, one thousand seven hundred and sixty-four, then their obligation to be void or else to remain in full force. 
sealed and delivered, being first duly stamped in the presence of W. Watty. Ferrers, L.S. Burdett, L.S. From the following extract of a letter written by Wright to his brother Richard, dated Rome, the 13th of April, 1774, we'll learn that Burdett's behavior caused Wright some anxiety as to his fulfillment of the bond. Quote, I have just received a letter from Mr. Tate of Liverpool, where he tells me, Mr. Burdett has sold up his goods and is off. Mrs. Burdett and her dear Miss Friedrich are gone into lodgings over head and ears in debt. I stand no chance of being paid at present, well, if ever. I would therefore have you write immediately to Lord Ferrers and tell him how things stand between me and Burdett, that he has not paid a farthing of principal or interest of the fourscore pounds his lordship was bound for, which I lent him in the year sixty or sixty-one, and he takes no notice of the letters I have wrote him lately concerning the debt, must therefore look to his lordship for it. When you write to his lordship, send the amount of principal and interest, and desire him to pay it as soon as he conveniently can. If it is not convenient for him to pay the whole, perhaps it will be prudent to take the interest only, as that will secure your debt and prolong the limited time for payment. Mr. Fallows will advise you with my respects to that family. Tell his lordship I would not apply to him at this time, for your money was I not much distressed for it. Travelling is very expensive. End quote. On the back of the bond, in Wright's handwriting, is the following. Quote, August the 23rd, 1776. Memo. This day the Earl Ferrers accepted the bill drawn by me for eighty pounds, which, when paid, will be in full for the principal of this bond. Joseph Wright. End quote. Extract from Wine and Walnuts by Pine. Quote, Wright was celebrated for scenes that represented the effects of fire subjects which he painted with more truth to nature than even Schalken, so far famed. Supper at Mortimer's. Quote, Upon my word, a delicate little hen turkey. What a Christmas present already. This turkey is from my old fellow prentice. Joe Wright, said Mortimer, the painter, who never forgets us at Christmas. Poor Joe, the valetudinarian. I'd be sworn he procured one of the least in old Derby out of sheer compassion to our evil habits. He knows we always dress his Christmas turkey for supper, and he has generally a hint by way of postscript to his letters, touching the prevalence of apoplexy. Now Master Joe was one of your water-gruel disciples when we were youngsters together at Hudson's, and I would wager ten pounds to a crown-piece. He is just now sitting, Peter Grievous, over that wishy-washy, tasteless, hamdrum, driveling dish and calling to old Nan Watkins, Nanny, have you any nice live coals? Do pray let me have my bed warmed. Are you a supper-eater, Mr. Gibbon? No, Mr. Mortimer, I am a single man and a bit of valetudinarian like your friend, Mr. Wright. And a water-gruel eater, I presume, said Mortimer. Yes, indeed, said Gibbon, smiling, though in truth I do not know that I am at all the better for these scrupulosities in diet. 
end quote. This playfully overdrawn picture of Wright's habits was probably written before Wright went to Italy. Wright was of very temperate and abstemious habits, which unfortunately cannot be said of Mortimer. Dr. Walcott, as Peter Pinder, in one of his poems called Mr. Wright's Moon's Silver Sixpences, upon being remonstrated with, he said he had not seen any of his moonlight, but supposed the moon must look like a sixpence. Probably this was the passage that Mr. Holland disliked when he wrote the following lines, had them printed, and pasted them over the passage in his volume of Peter Pinder's poems. Wouldst thou paint landscape, studied Arby ride, where freedom, elegance, and truth unite? Rich sparkling tints, grand shapes and masses show, how fine his pencil marks the sunset's glow. Nor does his master hand less skilful seem, when silver Cynthia quivers in the stream, e'en envy with approving smiles must own. In all right pains, nature and right are one. Mr. Holland showed the book to a friend, who exclaimed, Well done, Peter. I did not think he would have done right so much justice. The celebrated Dr. Darwin, who was on friendly terms with Wright, was often consulted by him, respecting his imaginary complaints, as the doctor unjustly called them, and on one occasion told him he had but one thing more to recommend, and that was that he would not give, but he thought it would be to his advantage to be engaged in a vexatious lawsuit. The poet doctor alludes to Wright in his botanic garden, Canto the First, line 175, in the following lines. Sir Wright's bold pencil from Vesuvius's height hurls his red lavas to the troubled night. From Culp starts the intolerable flush, skies burst in flames and blazing oceans dash, on birds in sweet repose his shades recede, winds the still veil and slopes the velvet mead. On the pale stream expiring zephyrs sing, and moonlight sleeps upon its hoary brink. From the Memoirs of the Life of Dr. Darwin by Anna Seward In the course of the year 1770, Mr. Day stood for a full-length picture to Mr. Wright of Derby. Footnote, now in the possession of Lord Belper. End of footnote. A strong likeness and a dignified portrait were the result. Drawn as in the open air, the surrounding sky is tempestuous, lurid, and dark. He stands, leaning his left arm against a column inscribed to Hampton. Mr. Day looks upward as enthusiastically meditating on the contents of a book held in his dropped right hand. The open leaf is the oration of that virtuous patriot in the Senate against the grant of ship money demanded by King Charles I. A flash of lightning plays in Mr. Day's hair and illuminates the contents of the volume. The poetic fancy and what were then the politics of the original appear in the choice of subject and attitude. Dr. Darwin sat to Mr. Wright about the same period. The result was a simply contemplative portrait of the most perfect resemblance. Footnote, now in the possession of Reginald Darwin, D.D.
and a footnote. Miss Mettiard, in her Life of Wedgwood, says in volume 2, page 442, Wedgwood, in the previous year, 1778, had bespoken a picture of Wright of Derby, who, neglected by his countrymen, would, as Wedgwood said, starve as a painter if the empress of Russia had not some taste and sense to buy these pictures now, which we may wish the next century to purchase again, at treble the price she now pays for them. Soon after this, Wright tried enamel painting, and, towards the close of 1779, he promised to visit Etruria and catch any help from its fires. But it is not till subsequently that we hear of the fine picture he painted for Wedgwood. Again, on page 508, Miss Mettiard writes, In 1784, Wright of Derby painted for Wedgwood his celebrated picture of the Maid of Corinth, as also a portrait which was probably that of the very friend who had as far as possible replaced Bentley in his heart, Erasmus Darwin. After some critical remarks on female drapery, Wedgwood, in writing to the painter, said of the Maid of Corinth, I do not say I am satisfied with the lover, but that I think it excellent. I had almost said inimitable, and I should quake for any future touch of your pencil there. It is unfortunate, in my opinion, that the maid shows so much of her back. But I give my opinion only, with great diffidence and submission to your better judgment. In one word, you have been so happy in your figure of the lover, that almost any other must appear to disadvantage in so near a comparison. Make her to please yourself and I shall be perfectly satisfied. Six years previously, Wright had painted for Mr. Wedgwood one of his most celebrated pictures. Writing to Bentley, the latter says, I am glad to hear that Mr. Wright is in the land of the living. I should like to have a piece of this gentleman's art, but think Deputate's daughter would be a more apropos subject for me than the alchemist, though my principal reason for having this subject would be a scene against the costume. I mean, the introduction of our vases into the piece, for how could such fine things be supposed to exist in the earliest infancy of the potter's art? You know what I want, and when you see Mr. Wright again, I wish you would consult with him upon the subject. Mr. Wright once began a piece in which our vases might be introduced with the greatest propriety. I mean, the handwriting upon the wall in the palace of Belshazzar, Wedgwood to Bentley, May the 5th, 1778. Upon inquiry as to the present locality of the pictures Wright painted for Wedgwood, we regret to learn that they were all lost to the family early in the present century. It appears that they were sent to some person in London for exhibition, or for the purpose of being cleaned, and whilst there were distrained for rent. The pictures were dispersed and beyond recall before the Wedgwoods could interfere. One of these pictures, a portrait of Sir Richard Arkwright, was some years afterwards presented to the Manchester Royal Exchange by Edmund Buckley, Esquire, where it now hangs. On page 26, mention has been made of the friendship which existed between Wedgwood and Wright, exemplified by Wright giving a painting to his friend Joseph Wedgwood, the patron and encourager of living artists. This friendship and generosity Wedgwood emulated upon the occasion of the marriage of Wright's daughter, 
Anna Romana to Mr. Cade by the gift of a dinner service of a hundred and fifty pieces. Mr. F. G. Stevens sends me the following interesting copy of an autograph letter. Derby, 12th of October, 1788, to Miss Seward, Lichfield. Madam, I have repeatedly read your charming poem. The subject you hold out for my pencil, as you have treated it, is an excellent one. But how to paint a flaming sword baffles my art. However, as soon as I find myself stout enough, I intend to attack it. I admire the scenery. Would it strengthen or weaken the character to lay it near the sea, upon a rising ground, and through an opening among the trees, low in the picture to see the moon just rising above a troubled sea? The point of time is, when the sword is rising out of the tomb, what kind of tomb should it be? To make it a regular one would indicate Herver's father had the usual funeral rites performed, which the poem, I think, contradicts. Your reflections upon this point will greatly oblige. Madam, your most obedient and humble servant, Joseph Wright. P.S. Dr. Darwin, I hope, explained his mistake in returning the poem before I had done with it. May the 5th, 1789. Mr. Haley to Mrs. Haley. I shall beg you and Mrs. Berridge to call upon friend Wright and tell him, from me, that I and all the lovers of painting with whom I have conversed since my return to town consider his pictures this year as the flower of the royal exhibition. His dying soldier made me literally shed tears, his moonlight enchanted. Towards the end of August, 1776, Haley and Mrs. Haley went to Derby for the pleasure of congratulating their friend, Dr. Berridge, on a most seasonable marriage that restored him from a state of perilous discomfort to health and happiness. This visit was productive of various delights. Haley not only sympathized in the happiness of the restored physician, but in the weeks that he passed under his friend's roof, he had the gratification of cultivating an intimacy with Wright, the admirable painter of Derby, who, having injured his health by too assiduous application to his art, had great comfort in the kind attention he received from the friendly physician, and took a pleasure in executing for Haley two hasty portraits in Chiaro Oscuro of Mrs. Berridge and her husband, after painting for the doctor the poet of Sussex and his Eliza. Footnote. These interesting portraits of Mr. and Mrs. Haley are now in the possession of the Reverend German Baxton. End of footnote. The following is extracted from the life of William Haley, Esquire, by John Johnson, LLD, rector of Welburn in Norfolk. Haley went to Cambridge in 1763. Here he formed an intimate friendship with Thornton, Berridge, and Clifford, whose custom it was to breakfast together in the apartments of each other. Haley devoted some months of the year 1772 to his highly valued friend Berridge, who had settled as a physician at Derby. Haley then copied in watercolours two bold sketches of scenery near Matlock, lent to him by the very amiable artist Wright of Derby, with whom he began this year an intimacy that lasted to the death of the painter, who frequently in his letters consulted his friend of Sussex on the subjects of his pencil. The following extract is from the Quarterly Review, Memoirs, etc., of William Haley. Haley's son, 
Thomas Alfonso, the sculptor, was then in his thirteenth year. It had been Haley's first intention to educate his son for the profession of physic, but many circumstances combined to give him a strong inclination for that of the arts. During a visit to Mrs. Haley, Wright of Derby perceived in him so much aptitude for painting that he took pains in instructing him, and upon the report of his progress, Flaxman wrote to his father, saying, If you have not quite determined to make him a physician, and if you think he has talents for the fine arts, show yourself, my friend, indeed, and accept my offer as frankly as I make it. The offer was accepted, but this promising young artist died after a long illness a few years later. Extract from a letter from T. A. Haley to his father, the poet. Your letter to Mr. Wright I delivered to his daughter, who happened to be with us when it arrived, and he has been seen so good as to give me a few instructions in drawing. A cordial friendship had long existed between Wright, the admirable painter of Derby, and the father of Alfonso, but the latter, in writing to his friend, had only requested him to gratify the little traveller with the permission of sometimes passing a leisure hour in his painting-room, and with the indulgence of seeing him exercise his pencil. The amiable artist, with that warm benevolence which formed a striking part of his character, went beyond the request of his old friend, and being more and more pleased with the intelligence, spirit, and docility of his little visitor, spontaneously bestowed on him such repeated instructions as perfectly awakened in him a passion and a genius for art, which, being afterwards inspired by the affections and encouragement of his father, of Romney and of Flaxman, ultimately changed his very early professional destination from medicine to sculpture. Mr. Haley to Mrs. Haley I am infinitely pleased with the first fruits of the little man's northern pencil, and charmed with the kindness of my friend Wright in condescending to instruct such an urchin. T. A. Haley to Mr. Haley I continue to draw, and you will be glad to hear with the approbation of my great master. I shall have a great collection of performances to show when we meet. I hope it will not be long before that happy moment arrives. Mr. Haley to T. A. Haley I did not, I believe, send your medallion of Romney to our amiable friend Wright. I wish you to present him such a becoming mark of your gratitude for the extreme kindness that we have ever received from him. Would to heaven I could send him a good portion of health and spirits to attend your interesting offering to the very amiable invalid. From all of him I collect from Mayer, I fear his pencil has been very inactive for some time. I always grieve when men of talents are condemned by ill health to involuntary indolence, and I doubly grieve when that misfortune falls upon a friend whose works I have often surveyed with delight. The following letter relates to the picture of the alchemist, now belonging to the Derby Corporation Art Gallery, having been presented to that town as a memorial to the painter by a few of his admirers in 1883. Dear Wright, Dr. Turner will in his letter be more particular than I can possibly be on a subject to which I am a stranger. I have conceived that the chemist should be sitting on this side the table and turning his head towards glass upon his assistant, exclaiming upon the first appearance of the luminous exhalation from the retort into receiver of the phenomenon. 
The lamp is still under the influence of the blast of wind remaining in the bellows below, which the chemist has been using in another process. Whether this idea of the flame will in the least answer your purpose, you alone can judge. You will wonder when you are told that I am painting history without figure, landscape without trees, and shipwreck without water. Mrs. Burdett joins me in love, compliments, and everything else to your family. Yours sincerely, J.P. Burdett. Liverpool, February the 4th, 1771. From a letter on page 27, it appears that Wright took this picture with him to Rome in 1774, where it was much admired. Girl with a Bladder Original picture in the possession of Mr. F. C. Arkwright, Willersley, Cromford, Derbyshire. End of chapter 7